Section 90. I'm a Mac. I'm a PC. Microsoft's response to Apple's Get a Mac campaign. Advertising is much more difficult than just about everyone believes to be the case. In fact, one of the most challenging tasks for any executive at any company is to step back and not get involved in advertising. It is so easy to have opinions on ads and really randomize the process. It's easy to see why. Most of us buy stuff and therefore consume advertising. So it logically follows we all have informed opinions, which is really not the case at all. Just like product group people hate everyone having opinions on features, marketing people are loathe to deal with a cacophony of anecdotes from those on the sidelines. Nothing would test this more for all of Microsoft than Apple's latest campaign that started in 2006. I'd already gone through enough of watching advertising people get conflicting and unreconcilable feedback to know not to stick my nose in the process. I'm a Mac, and I'm a PC. The Get a Mac commercial starting in 2006 changed the competitive narrative overnight and were a painful gut punch welcoming Mimi to Windows. They were edgy, brutal in execution, and they skewered Windows with facts. They were well done, though it always bothered me that PC Guy had a vague similarity to the late and much-loved Paul Allen, Microsoft's co-founder, long focused on science and philanthropy. Things that drove Windows fans crazy, like no viruses on the Mac, were not technically true, but true in practice because mostly, why bother writing viruses for Macs with their 6% share? That's what we told ourselves. In short, these commercials were devastating. They probably bumped right up against a line, but they effectively tapped into much of the angst and many of the realities of PC ownership and management. Our chief operating officer and others were quite frustrated by the ads and believed the commercials not only to be untrue, but perhaps in violation of FTC rules. They were great advertising. Great advertising is something Apple seemed to routinely accomplish, while Microsoft found it to be an elusive skill. For its first 20 years, Microsoft resisted broad advertising. The company routinely placed print ads and trade publications and enthusiast magazines with an occasional national newspaper buy for launches. These ads were about software features, power, and capabilities. Rarely, if ever, did Microsoft appeal to emotions of buyers. When Microsoft appeared in the national press, it was Bill Gates as the successful technology whiz kid, along with commentary on the growing influence and scale of the company. With that growing influence in the early 1990s and a business need to move beyond Bill G, a huge decision was made to go big in advertising. Microsoft retained Wyden Kennedy, the Portland-based advertising agency responsible for the Just Do It campaign from Nike among many era-defining successes. After much consternation about spending so heavily on television advertising, Microsoft launched the Where Do You Want to Go Today campaign in November 1994. Almost immediately, we learned the challenges of advertising. The subsidiaries were not enamored with the tagline. The head of Microsoft Brazil famously pushed back on the tagline, saying the translation amounted to saying, do you want to go to the beach today? Because the answer to the question, where do you want to go? In Brazil was always the beach. The feedback poured in before we even started. It was as much about the execution as the newness of television advertising to Microsoft. Everyone had an opinion. I remember vividly the many pitches and discussions about the ads. I can see the results of those meetings today as I rewatch the flagship commercial. Microsoft kept pushing, more product, show the features. And the team from Wyden Kennedy would push back describing emotions and themes, but the client always wins, and it was a valuable lesson for me. 
Another valuable lesson? Mike Maples, email Mike Mapp, of course, who had seen it all at IBM, pointed out just before the formal go-ahead, saying that something like, just remember, once you start advertising spend, you can never stop. With the amount of money we are proposing, we could hire people in every computer store to sell Windows 95 with much more emotion and information. These were such wise words as routine for Mike. He was right. You can never stop. TV advertising spend for a big company once started becomes a part of the baseline P&L, like a tax on earnings. The online version includes the video for where you want to go today. In this audio, I will play the audio for all of these commercials as follows. Listen, this stuff that we make, it's powerful. It makes you powerful. Take it. Gather up your ideas. Listen, listen. This stuff is run with this. This power's power. This stuff take it. This power is this stuff. Make trouble. Makes you and good things will happen. Your ideas. Make some mistakes. It doesn't matter. Just do something amazing. And good things will happen. Where do you want to go today? It makes you powerful. This stuff that we make. Gather up your ideas. Run with them. Do something amazing. We're in your corner. And we can't wait to see what you're going to do. We're in your corner. Listen, and we can't wait to see what you're going to do. Listen, listen. Listen, listen. Listen, listen. The commercials were meant to show people around the world using PCs, but instead came across almost cold, dark, and ominous. As many were starting to perceive Microsoft, this was version 1.0. Over the next few years, the campaign would get updates with more colors, more whimsy, and often more screenshots and pixels. What followed, though, was the most successful campaign the company would arguably ever execute, the Windows 95 launch. For the next decade, Microsoft would continue to spend heavily, hundreds of millions of dollars per year. The little of that would resonate. Coincident with the lukewarm reception to advertising would be Microsoft's challenges in branding, naming, and in general balancing speeds and feeds with an emotional appeal to consumers. Meanwhile, our enterprise muscle continued to strengthen as we became leaders in articulating strategy, architecture, and business value. In contrast, Apple had proven masterful at consumer advertising. From the original 1984 Super Bowl ad through the innovative What's on Your Power Book ads in 1992 to Think Different from 1997 to 2000, and many of the most talked about advertisements of the day, such as the Congratulations Win 95 file name ad in 1995, and the full page Welcome IBM Seriously in 1981. Apple had shown a unique ability to get the perfect message across. The only problem was that their advertising didn't appear to work, at least as measured by sales and or market share. The advertising world didn't notice that small detail. We definitely did. Starting in 2006, a reminder that Vista released in January 2007, Apple's latest campaign, Get a Mac, created an emotional bond instantly with everyone struggling with their Windows PC at home or work, while also playing on all the stereotypes that existed in the Windows versus Mac battle. The nerdy businessman PC slave versus the too cool hipster Mac user. The campaign started just as I joined Windows. 
I began tracking the commercials in a spreadsheet, recording the content and believability of each while highlighting those I thought particularly painful in one dimension or another. A Wikipedia article would later emerge with a complete list emphasizing the importance of those commercials. I found myself making the case that the commercials reflected the state of the Windows experience in the real world. It wasn't really all that important if a Mac was better, because what resonated was the fragility of the PC. There was a defensiveness across Microsoft, a feeling, how could the 5% share Mac making, could make these claims? I managed a bit of a row with the COO who wanted to go to the FTC and complain that Apple was lying. The online version contains the spreadsheet that I just described. Windows Vista dropped the ball. Apple was there to pick it up, not only with TV commercials and ads, but with a resurgence and innovative product line, one riding on the coattails of Wintel. The irony that these commercials held up, even with the transition to Intel and a theoretical level playing field, only emphasized that the issue was software first and foremost, not simply a sleek aluminum case. While the MacBook Air was a painful reminder of the consumer offerings of Windows PCs, the commercials were simply brutal when it came to Vista. There were over 50 commercials that ran from 2006 to 2009, starting with Apple's transition to Intel and then right up until the release of Windows 7, when a new commercial ran on the eve of the Windows 7 launch. Perhaps the legacy of the commercials was the idea that PCs have viruses and malware, and Macs don't. No talking points about market share or that malware targets the greatest number of potential victims or simply that the claim was false would matter. There's no holding back. This is a brutal takedown, and it was effective. It was most effective in reputation bashing, however, than in shifting unit share. The online version contains two ads, viruses, and malware. Hello, I'm a Mac. And I'm a PC. Zentite, you okay? No, I'm not okay. I have that virus that's going around. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, better, you better stay back. This one's a doozy. That's okay. I'll be fine. No, no, do not be a hero. Last year, there were 114,000 known viruses for PCs. PCs? Not Macs. So, you just grab this one. I think I got to crash. Hey, if you feel like that'll help, good. Hello, I'm a Mac. And I am no one. Okay, PC, what are you doing? Listen, friend, it's not very safe for me right now, you understand? There's a lot of spyware out there. It sneaks into your system, follows you wherever you may go. In uh, fact, take these. No, no, no. They'll keep you safe. PC, honestly, I don't need them. Really, I'm good. I run Mac OS X, so I don't have to worry about your spyware and viruses. You, you take them. Yeah, you're right. I probably should have a backup anyway. Yeah. You never saw me. Never saw who? Me, PC. Oh! Ah. One of the most memorable ads for me was security, which highlighted the Windows Vista feature designed to prevent viruses and malware from sneaking on your PC called User Account Control, or UAC, which had become a symbol of the annoyance of Vista, so much so that our sales leaders wanted us to issue a product change to remove it. There's some irony in that this very feature is not only implemented across Apple's software today, but in a far more granular and invasive manner. That should sink in. Competitively, we all seem to become what we first mock. The online version has the security ad. Hello, I'm a Mac. Mac has issued a salutation, cancel or allow. Allow, and I'm a PC. You're returning Mac salutation, cancel or allow? Allow. Okay, what? 
gives. Mac is asking a question. Cancel or allow? Allow. He's part of Vista, my new operating system. PCs have a lot of security problems, so he asked me to authorize pretty much anything I do. You're pointing out Vista's flaws. Cancel or allow? Allow. I could turn him off, but then he wouldn't give me any warnings at all, and that would defeat the purpose, so... You are coming to a sad realization. Cancel or allow? Allow. Something Steve B. always said when faced with sales blaming the product group and the product group blaming sales for something that isn't working was, we need to build what we can sell and sell what we can build. Windows Vista was a time where we had the product and simply needed to sell what we had built, no matter what. The marketing team, an organizational peer to product development at this time, was under a great deal of pressure to turn around the perceptions of Vista and do something about those Apple commercials. It was a tall order. The OEMs were in a panic. It would require a certain level of bravery to continue to promote Vista, perhaps not unlike shipping Vista in the first place. The fact that the world was in the midst of what would become known as the Great Financial Crisis, with PC sales taking a dive, did not help. Through a series of exercises to better come up with a point of attack, the team came up with the idea that maybe too many people were basing their views of Windows Vista on hearsay and not actual experience. We launched a new campaign, the Windows Mojave Experiment, that took a cinema verite approach to showing usability studies and focus groups for a yet-to-be-released and experimental version of Windows Mojave. After unsolicited expressions of how bad Vista was, the subjects were given a tour of Windows Mojave. The videos were not scripted, and the people were all real, as were their reactions. Throughout the case study and the associated online campaign, the subjects loved what they were being shown. Then at the end of the videos, the subjects were told the surprise. This was Windows Vista. To those old enough to know, it had elements of the old Folgers coffee commercial or the I can't believe it's not butter commercials. Classic taste test advertising. The online version has the Windows Mojave experiment advertisement. So it's just an informal discussion. I'll be asking some questions and you just answer them as honestly as, as you can. So why haven't you upgraded to Vista yet? Just the bad things I've heard about it. I just heard negative things. I never tried it myself. I, I wouldn't touch the thing. It's horrible. We have so many problems. It crashes. <laughs> I've heard nothing but bad things about Vista, really. I'd like you to rate your overall favorability of Windows Vista. Okay. The paper. Okay, so you gave Windows Vista a zero. Today, I'm going to show you a little bit about Windows Mojave. Okay. Which is actually uh, the newest version of Windows. I want to see it. <laughs> I want to see how it works. Oh, yeah. Wow. Sick. Yes. That's great. So, oh, that's great. I love gadgets. Man, it's awesome. Oh, what do you think of this new upload? Really cool. It's very impressive. The speed is incredible, right? I need an upgrade, and that looks like everything that I would need. That's 10, definitely. All right. Well, I have to confess to you, this is Vista. Really? What? Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> this is Windows Vista. Son of a gun. Right, you got me. I had no idea that you could do all this with Windows Vista. It represents a lot of things that you could only dream of um, a few years back. Actually, it's totally different than what I had heard it would be like. I'm impressed. I mean, it looks awesome. I mean, it just seems so easy. I'm getting it. <laughs> I would say it's an awesome program, but you have to see for yourself. The industry wasn't impressed. 
In fact, many took to blog posts to buzzsaw the structure of the tests and the way subjects were questioned and shown the product. One post in a Canadian in a Canadian publication ran with the headline, Microsoft thinks you're stupid in describing the campaign. This was right on the heels of the office campaign where we called our customers dinosaurs. We had not yet figured out consumer advertising. The online version has this article from McLean's calling our customers stupid. We still had to sell Vista and we had built it. We needed an approach that at the very least was credible and not embarrassing. But importantly, at least hit on the well-known points about Apple Macintosh that everyone knew to be true. Macs were expensive, and as a customer, your choices were limited. Apple's transition to Intel was fascinating and extraordinarily well executed. Releasing PCs that were widely praised, featuring state-of-the-art components, an Intel processor unique to Apple at launch, and a superior design and construction that beat any Windows PC. The new premium-priced Intel Macs featured huge and solid trackpads, reliable standby and resume, and super-fast startup. All things most every Windows PC struggled to get right. We consistently found ourselves debating the futility of the Apple strategy offering expensive hardware. The OEMs weren't the only ones who consistently believed cheaper was better, but that also was baked into how Microsoft viewed the PC market. Apple had no interest in a race to the profitless price floors and low margins of the PC world, happily ceding that part of the market to Windows while selling premium PCs at relatively premium prices. In fact, their answer to continued lowering of PC prices was to release a pricey premium PC. The original MacBook Air retailed for what seemed like an astonishing $1,799. That was for the lowest specification, which included a 13-inch screen, a meager 2 gigabytes of memory, an 80-gigabyte mechanical hard drive, and one single USB port along with an obscure video output port with no DVD drive and no network port. And for an additional $1,000, one could upgrade to a fancy new solid-state disk drive, which was still unheard of on Windows PCs. As it would turn out, the MacBook Air was right in the middle of the PC market, and that's just how PC makers like it, stuck between the volume PC and the premium PC, neither here nor there. An example of the most popular laptop configuration of the time was the Dell Inspiron 1325. The 1325 was widely praised as an entry-level laptop with an array of features, specs, and prices. In fact, on paper, many PC publications asked why anyone would buy an overpriced Macintosh. The Dell 1325 ranged in prices from $599 to about $1,000, depending on how it was configured. The configuration comparable to a MacBook Air was about $699 and still had 50% more memory and three times the disk space. As far as flexibility in ports, the 1325 featured not just a single USB port, but two, a VGA connector for video, audio jacks, Firewire for an iPad, of course, an 8-in-1 media card reader, and even something called an Express card for high-speed peripherals. Still, it was kind of a beast. While the same width and length, it was twice as thick and clearly more dense, weighing almost 5 pounds at the base configuration, compared to the 3-pound MacBook Air. As far as battery life, if you wanted to be comparable to the Air, then you added a protruding battery that added about a pound in weight, and made it so the laptop wouldn't fit in a bag. Importantly, purists would compare the MacBook, 
not the air, as we did in our competitive efforts, but the excitement was around the air. The regular 13-inch MacBook weighed at 4.5 pounds and still cost $1,299, which would make it a bit more favorable comparison. It was clear to me that the Air was the future of the consumer PC, as most PC users would benefit from lighter weight, fewer ports, and a simpler design. As much as I believe this, it would take years before the PC industry broadly recognized that thin and light was not a premium product. The MacBook Air would soon end up priced at a $999 entry price, which is when it began to cause real trouble for Windows PCs. The online version has the original specs for the Dell 1325 from their website at the time. The higher-end MacBook Air competitor from the PC world was the Premium M series from Dell. Incidentally, I'm using Dell as an example. Hewlett-Packard and Lenovo would be similar in most every respect. The Dell XPS M1330, the forerunner to today's wonderful Dell XPS 13, was a sleeker four pounds, also featuring a wedge shape. With the larger and heavier battery, there was a good five hours of runtime. Both Dells featured plastic cases with choices of color. It, had, it too had models cheaper than the MacBook and MacBook Air, but be, could be priced significantly more by adding more memory and disk and better graphics or a faster CPU. A key factor in the ability for Mac to become mainstream, however, was the rise in the use of web browsers for the most important consumer scenarios. A well-known XKCD cartoon featured two stick figures, one claiming to be, C be a PC and another claiming to be a Mac, with the joint text pointing out, and since you do everything through a browser now, we're pretty indistinguishable. Apple benefited enormously from this shift, or disruption, especially as Microsoft continued to invest heavily in Office for the Mac. The decline in new and exciting Windows-based software described in the previous section proved enormously beneficial to Apple when it came to head-to-head -head evaluation of Mac versus Windows. Simply running Office and having a great browser, combined with the well-integrated Apple software for photos, music, videos, and mail, proved formidable and somewhat enduring with the rise of non-PC devices. The online version has the XKCD cartoon. We were obsessed with the pricing differences. We often referred to these higher prices as an Apple tax, and even commissioned a third party to study the additional out-of-pocket expenses for a typical family when buying Macs versus Windows. A white paper was distributed with a detailed specification showing the better value PCs offered. In April 2008, we released a fake tax form itemizing, I'm sorry, the high cost of Apple hardware. The online version has a table comparing different kinds of PC configurations to Macintosh, as well as this facsimile of an online tax form. From our perspective, or perhaps rationalization, this was all good. Consumers had choice, options, and flexibility. They could get the PC they needed for their work and pay appropriately or not. The thesis was reinforced by the sales of both PCs and Macs, no matter what anyone was saying in blogs. The PC press loved this flexibility. Retailers and OEMs relied on the variety of choices to maximize margin. Retailers in particular struggled with Apple products because they lacked key ways to attach additional margin, such as, up, such as upsell or service contracts, not to mention Apple's lack of responsiveness to paying hefty slotting and co-advertising fees. Choosing a PC while a complicated endeavor was also the heart and soul of the PC ecosystem. Once Apple switched to Intel, 
there was a broad view that the primary difference between Mac and Windows now boiled down to the lack of choice and a high price with a lack of compatible software and peripherals and the ecosystem characterizing the Macintosh brand. To make this point, Microsoft launched a new campaign, Laptop Hunter, that ran in 2009. In these ads, typical people are confronted outside big box retailers trying to decide what computer to buy, a PC or a Mac. In one ad, Lauren even confesses she is not cool enough for a Mac while noticing just how expensive they are. An important note, Lauren is almost the perfect representation of a Mac owner. She heads over to a showroom with a vast number of choices and whittles her way down to a sub $1,000 PC with everything she needs. Another success. The online version has the video of Lauren. This is Lauren. She told us she wanted a laptop with speed, comfortable keyboard, and a 17-inch screen. For under $1,000. We told her, you find it, you keep it. Here we go, guys. Now we're on a mission. We're looking at the Mac store. Okay. For $1,000, they only have one computer available, and that's a 13-inch screen. I would have to double my budget, which isn't feasible. I'm just not cool enough to be a Mac person. Okay. Wow. 250 gigabyte hard drive, four gigabytes of memory. We're getting good work done here, guys. This is like a phone. 16.4 inch screen. Oh, it's over there. 17. We have the HP over here. We have that one. They both have the 17 inch display. But the look of that one is drawing me. Oh, okay. This one has all of my qualifications. I'm gonna buy this computer. Ah! Yay! Congrats, Lauren. It's a PC. How do you plan on paying? Cash. I got everything for under $1,000. I'm a PC, and I got just what I wanted. Not to belabor this emerging theme, but no one believed these ads either. Only this time, the critics and skeptics were livid, as it appeared Lauren was an actress, and that called into question the whole campaign. In addition, Apple blogs went frame by frame in the ad to prove various aspects of the shoot were staged or simply not credible. The tech blogs pointed out inconsistencies or stage aspects of Lauren's requirements as being designed to carefully navigate the Apple product line. Laptop Hunter offered some insight into how addictive or necessary television advertising became and the scale at which Microsoft was engaging. The television campaign debuted during the NCAA basketball tournament in the U.S., Prime Time. It was supported by top-quality network primetime shows, Grey's Anatomy, CSI, The Office, Lost, American Idol, late-night staple programming, Leno, Letterman, Kimmel, Conan, and Saturday Night Live, and major sports events and playoff series, NCAA basketball, NBA, MLB, and NHL. Cable networks included Comedy Central, Discovery, MTV, VH1, History, and ESPN. Whew. The online campaign included the homepage execution on NewYorkTimes.com, as well as, quote, homepage takeovers, a thing to do back then, on the Wall Street Journal, Engadget, and CNN. We also supported this with an online media buy targeted at reaching people who were considering a non-Windows laptop, otherwise known as a Mac. We linked from those banner ads to a dedicated Microsoft website to configure a new PC and direct online resellers, closing the loop to purchase. The level of spending and effort was massive as the upside was. The online version contains some of those landing pages for the PC Hunter site. I could defend the advertising, but at this point, I'm not sure it is worth the words. B 
Besides, Apple responded to the ad with a brutal reiteration of viruses and crashes in PCs, and that lots of bad choice is really no choice at all. It is rare to see two large companies go head-to-head in advertising, and you could see how Microsoft did take the high road relative to Apple, and deliberately so. The ads worked for Apple, but almost imperceptibly so in the market. Apple gained about one point of market share, which represented over 35% year-over-year unit growth for each of those two years of the campaign. That is huge. But the PC market continued to grow, though at just over 10%. Still, that was enough of a gain to ameliorate the share gains from Apple, which were mostly limited to the U.S. and Western Europe. The online version includes the Apple response ad. Hello, I'm a Mac. And I'm a PC. You know, there are tons and tons of PCs out there, so I brought the whole range by to help find the one that's best for her. It's a lot of PCs. So what do you want? Well, I want a computer with a big screen. Okay, small screens, beat it. What else? Well, I want it to have a fast processor. Okay, slow PCs, go. What else? I just need something that works without crashing or viruses or a ton of headaches. Did you say no viruses or crashes or headaches? Yeah. Ugh, she's all yours, Mac. Hi, how are you? Good. I'm a Mac. I'm a Megan. As much as the blowback from this campaign hurt, we were at least hitting a nerve with Apple fans and getting closer to a message that resonated with the PC industry. Compatibility, choice, and value. For our ad agency, the essence of PC versus Mac debates boiled down to not specs and prices, but to a difference in the perceived customers. The Mac customer, and also the agency itself, seemed to be cut from one mold of young, hip, artistic, whereas the PC was literally everyone else. It seemed weird to us and our advertising agency that Windows computers were not given credit for the wide array of people and uses they supported, if even stereotypically. We were proud of the way PCs were used. To demonstrate this pride, Bill Vecti emailed Bill V, the Senior Vice President of Windows Marketing, also reporting to Kevin Johnson, led the creation of a new I'm a PC campaign, that started in the fall of 2008 and ran through the launch of Windows 7. Rather than run from Apple's I'm a Mac, we embraced it. The main spot featured fast cuts of people from all walks of life, including members of the Microsoft community, as well as some pretty famous people, talking about their work, creations, and what they do with PCs. The ads even featured a Microsoft employee, Sean Seiler, a networking specialist from Microsoft Federal, who looked unsurprisingly like the stereotype PC users portrayed by Apple. These ads were us. They were everyone. The online version includes the I'm a PC flagship ad. Hello, I'm a PC, and I've been made into a stereotype. I'm a PC, and I'm not what you call hip. I'm a PC, and I wear glasses. I wear glasses. Hey, I wear glasses. I wear jeans. And I study jeans. And I design jeans. And I design green buildings. I'm a PC and I study the law. And I practice the law. And I challenge the law. I'm a PC and I blog for Obama. And I broadcast for McCain. And I have a beard. I'm a PC and I have three rings. I'm a PC and I have one ring. I turn number two into energy. I'm a PC and I want to protect these. I'm a PC and I'm connected to more than a billion others worldwide. Roger that, Houston. I'm a PC. And my name is Roger. I'm a PC. I'm a PC. I'm a PC. Yeah, I'm a PC too. I'm a PC and a human being. Not a human doing, not a human thinking, a human being. I'm a PC and I sell fish.
The advertising world viewed success through the creative lens so dominated by Apple. The ads were well-received, and for the first time, we landed spots, costing hundreds of millions of dollars, that we could both be proud of while emphasizing our strengths. The memorable legacy of the campaign would be the brightly colored I'm a PC stickers that nearly everyone at the company dutifully attached to their laptops. Meeting rooms filled with open laptops of all brands, colors, and sizes each displayed the sticker. We made sure all our demo machines featured the stickers as well. In the summer of 2009, at the global sales meeting just before Windows 7 would launch, Bill Vecti led the sales force in a passionate rally around I'm a PC, and the field loved it. I was sitting in the back of the room, and it was magical. He was in his element, and they were pumped. Windows 7-focused versions of this campaign featured individuals talking about their work, saying, I'm a PC, and Windows 7 was my idea building on the theme of how Windows 7 was better addressing customer needs. More on that in the next chapter. Nothing hit home more a few years later than the photo of the White House Situation Room in May 2011 during the raid on Osama bin Laden. That photo was captioned by the internet to illustrate the point of just who is a Mac and who is a PC. The meme featured some barefooted hipsters in a coffee shop captioned, I'm a Mac. And then the Situation Room featured secured ThinkPads, captioned, I'm a PC, with the heading, Any Questions? We loved it. That seriousness was what we were all about. The online version includes that meme. Of course, the real battle with Apple, right, was, was now about software. Windows 7 needed to execute. We needed to build our services offerings for mail, calendar, storage, and more, where Apple was still flailing even more than we were. The team was in full execution mode now, and we had milestones to plow through. While I felt we were heading in the right direction and cleared the decks of obvious roadblocks, there was a looming problem, again from Cupertino. What was once a side bet for Microsoft would prove to be the most transformative invention of the 21st century, from Apple. As a postscript, the Get a Mac ad that hit me the hardest for non-product reasons was the ad Yoga which was a funny thing to me because when I moved to Windows in March of 2006, I switched to practicing yoga after a decade of Pilates. In the spot, PC guy switches from yoga to Pilates. Hello, I'm a Mac. Breathe out and expel all that bad Vista energy. Uh, PC? Oh, hey Mac, you know, it's a bit of a stressful year with Vista, so I'm just trying to relax. Right, good for you. Forget that Vista still doesn't work right. Forget that it's caused so many problems. Forget that you could have switched to Mac, but instead you stuck with PC and now your yoga studio billing is completely screwed up. Maybe I should try Pilates. 